You're listening to the Next Generation Gym Owners People and Profits Podcast, where we focus on taking your passion and turning it into your profits. Join us for interviews with business experts, industry influencers, and more. Let's get to it. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Next Generation Cheer and Gymnastics Owners Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cotton, and today I am very excited, super honored to be sitting down with the one and only Jeff Benson. If you don't know who he is, I don't know what rock you're living under, <laughs> but I I have known about Jeff for a long time. Uh, I have referred his book to multiple athletes. So uh, Ben is a published author and he is known for his expertise in mental blocks. But as much as I may think I know about him, I'm going to let him introduce himself, tell you a little bit about who he is because he will be much better at that than I will. So Jeff, would you mind telling our listeners, let's say they have been living under that rock, okay. who you are and and what your background is? All right. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. And for all of you out there who are listening or watching, thanks for joining. I hope we can give you some good insight and information. But for those of you who do not know me and aren't sure what you're going to get, my name is Jeff Benson. I own a sports performance company called Mind Body Cheer. Uh, what I do is travel all around the world, getting to work with programs like yourself, achieve excellence, whether that be uh, character development, uh, helping your coaches understand how to coach this next generation of athletes, how to improve your program culture, or the very specific niche of how to deal with fear, like mental blocks and performance anxiety. That's essentially what I do and what I'm most passionate about. That's amazing. So what led you down the path to, to this? Cause you, when you look at cheer and people who are involved in cheer, you tend to see people focused on the skill side. They're, mm -hmm. they're a stunt technician or they're a tumbling technician. So what, what's your background in cheer? And then what led you to pick this as what you wanted to focus on? All right, my background in cheer. So I'm going to go all the way back to 1991. And starting high school, I was a competitive gymnast in Illinois. And even before that, I had always been that kind of weird kid, the eccentric kid on the sideline looking at cheerleaders and being like, yay, I want to do that. I want to flip like they do. So when I went to high school, joined the men's gymnastics team, really focused on tumbling. And when I went away to college at Illinois State University, luckily they had a co-ed cheer program. And I was like, I've been waiting my whole life for this. So I joined the team. And really from that point on, it's been a loving relationship. I am just so passionate about not just the skills of cheer, the stunting, the tumbling and jumping and all that cool stuff. I really love the life lessons that I learned learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about who I am in a group of people. And I think cheerleading is really special because especially for a guy, it allowed me an opportunity to work with multiple people, a lot of people who are different from me and getting this reflection that occurred. And I feel like I was really blessed. And that's kind of why I still do this, you know, goodness gracious, like 25 years later <laughs> is to be able to teach these lessons to athletes. How did I get involved in the sports performance fields? Well, after I left Illinois State, I left with a degree in kinesiology. So I really focused on PE, being a teacher, the movement, the body, and use that to help me be a better coach. So the skilled technician stuff that you're talking about, 
having a background in cheerleading or sorry, in gymnastics, tumbling mm-hmm. technique and form was always paramount to me. So really back a long time ago, I was really into trying to hone that in, be the best technical cheerleader you can be. When I moved out to California, uh, I don't know if you, I'm sure you know, Morton Berg, I got a job at cheerleaders.com. <clears throat> he was uh, kind enough to bring me in and I don't, I'm going to be dramatic. I like dismantled his, his culture, not in a good way, everybody. So you're like, oh, you helped. No, I was like the rock in a very calm pond. And back then I didn't really know how to navigate a culture that was different than I grew up. And so I made a lot of waves, caused a lot of problems. Parents hated me. Him and Danny Khan, mm. Morton and Danny Khan, but like, we love you. We love what you're doing. But just so you know, we have meetings about you every day because you're a really <laughs> hard coach to like deal with. But we do see you're a diamond in the rough. As you can imagine, I ended up burning out. It was not the right time for me, though I feel like I was a decently mm-hmm. um, knowledgeable coach. I was able to get most of the parents and the athletes involved, but I realized that. I had to grow. And so I went back and I got my master's degree in counseling psychology. And then we can fast forward wow. through that. Did that is a marriage crazy and journey. I, I have that. not heard that initial story oh, and I actually yeah. know Morton very well. And yeah. I know Danny and uh, great people. So that's, that's great funny. People. And I'm a West coast person. So uh, we're out here. Same, same kind of world. Uh, I don't know if he was there when you were, but Jason Labarth was. I know Jason well. uh, is a good, good friend of mine, and worked up at what is now our gym. That's uh, right. For a little while, when it was West Coast, I forgot Extreme, about that. Became Oregon Dream Teams, and now my wife and I own it. So small cheer world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you are you're known for being the mental blocks guru, okay. uh, the 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 man, the myth, the legend who can tell you how to cure these kids, which I know is probably what you get asked about the most, uh, in the cheer world. And would you mind just telling people really quick what your book is and kind of how, how that can help if they are looking for some assistance? Yeah. So my book is called unblocked. The walls come tumbling down, wrote it many, many moons ago. Um, essentially what it does is try to work with the triad, the athlete, the parent and the coach and get all three of us on the same page because we know when we are supporting one another in this really difficult situation of a mental block, it makes it a lot easier for the athlete to deal with the things, I call them limiters, the things that are holding them back. When the coach is using similar language to mom and dad, and when they mom and dad see the athlete being perfectionistic at home and refusing to do anything that's not perfect, being able to frame that as an opportunity to challenge themselves and to become a more well-rounded individual who's okay with making mistakes. And I'm sure all those gym owners out there, you're all nodding their heads. Yes, I wish we had more parents that were doing that instead of getting out of their lane and trying to coach their kid through the skills of cheerleading or their fear. Instead, it's let the coaches coach the skills while also creating this growth mindset and this psychologically safe environment where the athlete's allowed to mess up, but also teach them 
how to handle those mistakes and then for how parents to facilitate that same thing at home because the great news is that's only going to help them be more successful in life, happier and better people. Right. So if someone is looking for your book, uh, basic everywhere, right? Amazon, like <laughs> yeah. where would they go to get this? Amazon's the easiest. You can get the hard copy, which is definitely my preference or, you know, download that ebook. If you want to reach out mm-hmm. to me, feel free to email me. I can sign a copy and send it from my house as well. <laughs> So mindbodycheer at gmail.com. But most people get it on Amazon because you would have to pay for delivery from me. I am not Amazon. I don't have my drone yet. <laughs> All right. So um, that's awesome. And I, I think that people should take advantage of that. I Like I said, I've referred that book to multiple athletes. I appreciate that. Um, and their families. Uh, because mental blocks are definitely probably one of the most challenging things that you can deal with in a, in a one-on-one setting with an athlete and they're so weird, complex and, and complex, you know, an athlete just one day has all their skills and the next day can't do a back handspring. And they, they were doing fulls and double fulls the day Mm -hmm. before. And it's like, what happened? And they go, I don't know. Um, so it can be really frustrating for the athlete, for the coach, for the parent. And I think you do a really good job of helping frame it. So appreciate that. I highly recommend that. Thanks. But we had talked a little bit before the episode and you were, we started getting into it. Uh, and I was like, we got to just pause and hit yeah. record. Um, and with the concept of talking about building culture and gym and team culture within your program. And I've talked about culture on some other episodes. Um, it's something that I'm very passionate about and I believe it, it impacts everything to include mm-hmm. those mental blocks, right? A, a healthy culture, uh, is less likely to encounter those situations, not eliminate, but less likely. Mm-hmm. And I think most gym owners out there have felt that moment of like, oh my gosh, are mental blocks contagious, right? Because mm-hmm. kids start getting them in groups and droves. And um, so we we're chatting about team culture and kind of set that as the, maybe let's talk more on that. So what is it that attracted you to looking at gym culture in the cheer industry? Um, Especially where I am now in my life, being 45, having made lots of mistakes as a coach myself, I really realized that how we were coached as athletes does not translate to this generation. I understand when coaches are like, oh, this generation's soft or this generation's just different. Kids are different. Though I hear you, I disagree respectfully. I don't think kids are different. Our culture, American culture in this case, but really world culture is different. We're divisive. Mm -hmm. We're separate. We are and have created this environment where everything's at your fingertips for kids. Kids don't struggle. I talk about leadership a lot uh, when I do consultations and stuff with gyms. It's probably the best template if you don't mind? No, not at all. So imagine, I don't know, Dan, if it was like this for you, but when I was a kid, it was go outside, uh, find kids in the neighborhood, go play on the street and get back in for dinner when, you know, the streetlights came on. I do not think that is the best way to parents or anything else is wrong, but that's, that was my experience. 
One of the benefits to that is that we as kids built autonomy, meaning the independence to create rules of games, to go out there and experiment and fail with our peers and learn how to navigate really complex relationships. Again, there are a lot of negative things that occurred too. But talking about taking that strength, what we can do today, and one of the reasons I am so passionate about leadership, culture, mindset, mental blocks, is that all of this stuff is kind of a one-hit wonder. If you develop proper leadership, if you develop this psychologically safe environment where kids can fail, where they have autonomy in your gym, you can create a child who has all the great stuff that we had, all the independence, the leadership, because it's not born. It can be easily trained and taught, but we have to do it purposefully. We can start teaching kids that autonomy and independence. We can teach them how to be able to receive feedback and not get defensive. We can teach kids to be tougher and have thicker skins and not feel like we need to kind of dance around not wanting to hurt them. We don't have to worry about parents coming at us like, you know, mama bears and papa bears because we made their little kid or their child sad for five seconds. That Mm -hmm. is not a child's fault that that is the current culture we're living in. So I am all about growth mindset. So if this is our current culture, what can we do to work within the system to elevate the athletes that, and the athletes' lives and families' lives that we touch and we influence? And that's really why I do what I do. I love so many things about what you said, and I Thanks. probably should have been furiously taking notes so I could make sure I asked pointed questions after that. <laughs> I... I rely on uh, the aging brain to uh, keep all that in there. Um, so one of the things I love that you said, and I've actually had had disagreements with other coaches on this because I frequently hear uh, from from people we work with on a coaching side or uh, friends who are like, these kids are just different, right? Or you can't coach these kids the same way. And to which I generally respond, well, it's not exactly true. I definitely don't think kids are really different. They, like you said, they have a different, our world is different. They have different challenges. You know, I'm grateful that I didn't grow up with a cell phone. Grateful (laughs) that I did not have to navigate social media or looking for approval from likes and those things. There's a reason my 13 year old still doesn't have a cell phone. Um, Ditto. So I, I am grateful that I didn't grow up in that era. Uh, but I agree with you that it's a different world uh, and we have to navigate within those confines. One of the things you mentioned was, um, I think you said a psychologically safe space. Is that Mm -hmm. what you said? Psychologically Um, safe environment. Yeah. Safe environment. Yeah. I don't like the word safe space. Uh, Just Mm -hmm. it has some connotation to it, Mm -hmm. but uh, a psychologically safe environment for our athletes. And I think that's a challenging one for a lot of coaches who are trying to balance or they believe that that term means that they can't be tough. So can you help us navigate that? Like, does that, in your impression, mean that a coach can't be demanding and tough on the athletes to have a a psychologically safe environment? No, that does not mean you cannot be hard on your kids. 
it does mean that the way in which you are hard on them might look different than what you would like. And then I would ask you, what do you do when your kids feel uncomfortable with changing something? Oh, you yell at them and tell them that it'll make them better and stronger. I love you coaches, but this is going to make you better and stronger to hear this message, though you might not want to hear it. Being uncomfortable helps you grow. No, you can't cuss out kids. It's, it's right. not appropriate. It is not psychologically safe. When a child makes a mistake, though I totally get what I call flipping your lid, I've been there. Mm -hmm. I still feel that instinct. You are not responsible for how you feel or what you think in that moment. But you are 100% as an adult, especially responsible for the way you react in those situations. So let's just use, uh, oh, my team fell on the competition floor at NCA because it just happened. And I am furious mm -hmm. because they have been hitting that routine full out over and over and over again up until Friday night before we competed on Saturday. And I am so frustrated. You are allowed to be frustrated. You can even want to cuss out that kid. I'm not going to tell you, you can't want it or you can't have that thought. Go for it. <laughs> but you need to practice how you're going to get what you ultimately want. That is what we need to do with our medium brain here, our prefrontal cortex. Okay. What I want is for my kids to hit a routine so they can feel proud of themselves. That's my ultimate goal. I want them to take accountability for themselves. I want them to be proud of who they are. That's my value system. That's my roadmap. When I go up to the main base who didn't get her right grip and I start cussing her out, or even going in her face and being like, that deduction is you. If we lose, this is your fault. Please tell me how that hits any of my values or any of the things I want. It dismantles them. So my hope is everybody's like, okay, okay, I hear you, Jeff. But how do I act different? So it is about realizing you're going to mess up to making amends. I acknowledge I messed up and it's not just apologize. Hey, I flipped my lid. That was inappropriate. It's then also being better next time. Next time I want to flip my lid, this is not going to get me where I want to go. Walk away. You don't have to address the team right away. In fact, it's better to not address the team than to scream and yell at them. You can even say, let's do the little role play here, Dan. You're my main base who got the wrong grip. When I finally get my lid on, hey, Dan, I am really, really frustrated. We've right. talked about grabbing that grip on three. You did not do that. Tell me what happened. And I allow you to tell me what occurred. What likely is going to happen is... I was time traveling. I was nervous. I, I wasn't thinking. I was on autopilot. The worst thing you can do in that situation is scream and yell at that kid because that's all they're going to hear next time. They get to go for the grip. And now they're worried that they're going to mess up. So your question, Dan, let's bring it all back around. 
So does being in a psychologically safe environment mean that we can't be hard on our kids? Do you want to know what's hard is going up to a kid and asking what happened and them going, I don't know. Yeah, this is an I don't know free zone. That's not, that's, I'm not going to accept I don't know. Think. I was worried about my standing tumbling. And so when I went to stunts, I, re I remembered that I took that step. Okay, so you're time traveling. Why is time traveling a problem? The kid come. So I am just asking question after question after question. And then I'm going to hold that kid accountable. So what we're going to do is practice time traveling. We're going to practice strategies in practice for everybody on how to stay in the present moment. And then I, as a coach, am going to reinforce and reinforce and reinforce because the bottom line coaches, all of you and owners, you all know the reason I flip my lid or the coach wants to flip their lid is because they see that mistake as they're not a good coach. That's why we yep. act that way. Yep. It all kind of falls back to our own fragility of our identity as a good coach and that's a representation of, of you on the mat, i.e. you as the coach. And so your, your pride is built into that because, and I can say this literally as an owner, right? I don't coach every team in my gym. When one of my teams goes out and doesn't do a great job, I generally am not super heated wanting to walk backstage and like chew a kid out. I'm like, that was stupid, right? Because, yeah, it's a representation of my gym, but it's not a representation of me personally. So I don't take it quite as hard as when my team messes up. I, I do a pretty good job not yelling at kids at competition. Um, I just never think that that's really the right spot to do it um, or to have that like, hey, we messed up. That is what it is. So that's going to be the team conversation than individual, more like what you said. Uh, I think I definitely struggle with the flipping the lid in practice, though. Mm -hmm. of, and it's more of like, are you kidding me? You know, stop the music, go away. I'm, we're not, we're not going to keep doing this. So go figure your lives out. Come back when you're ready to actually check into practice at a higher volume than that. Sometimes I hear you. Uh, I do believe, and correct me if I'm wrong. I've always ascribed to, there are certain times where bringing in that intensity and raising your voice and being a little bit more, not obviously not cursing kids out, mm -hmm. but I think when you say cursing kids out, you do mean we, it's obviously inappropriate to drop F-bombs and things on athletes. Yeah. But uh, do you also mean maybe one scale down, you don't say the bad word, but that vitriol is dripping from every word that you say. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes with a kid, and with, with people in general, right? We all know how to hurt people way worse than the F word. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not good enough. You're, you are worthless to this team. Those kind of statements are way worse than saying yeah. a bad word. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming you mean that as well yeah. as be as like a cursing out situation. Um, so what are your thoughts on elevating and raising the voice in practice and, you know, being intense in that, like, and saying, this is completely not acceptable. And maybe even yelling that to the mm -hmm. entire team. Yeah. Is that not a psychologically safe environment? That's a great question. 
I would not try and put a straight jacket on anybody and tell you that there is one way to coach psychologically safe. It's, it's not fair. It's not accurate. Um, I personally, I'm going to use an example. I have a very good friend. Her name's Kate. Uh, when I coached a high school cheer team, I was passionate, loud, energetic. If they were talking when I was talking, I mean, I am at it. We do not interrupt each other is my personality. She took over the program. She would just wait. And she'd wait for everyone to be quiet. And she would say, I am not raising my voice. Once you are ready to learn, I'm here. And she would sit there and be patient. One of us was not a better coach. You are allowed to be who you are. But it's important to reflect how your kids interact with you to truly see if your environment is psychologically safe. Let me give you an example. Yes, if your kids love you and they care about you and they're coming up to you and telling you about their day, these are all good signs that they care for you. But that does not mean it's psychologically safe. When they are stunting, here's just some signs. Do they go up, does that flyer go up in the stunt and make eye contact with you to check to see what your reaction is? If they do, that's not a good sign. They're trying to keep you calm and they are thinking, if I do my job, then Coach Dan will be calm and that means I'm good. That's what we're trying to dismantle in a psychologically safe environment. I want my team, I want to facilitate my team to work for the goals they want. So I'm going to give you a very rough blueprint of how I do this when I work with programs who are trying to elevate their culture. I start sure. with what does the team want? What are your goals? Uh, we want to get to summit or we want to be the best dream team of the season. What does that look like? We define it. We talk about it. Then we talk about what are the action steps that are going to get us there? Write them out. I'm, I'm talking big whiteboard. Write them out. What are our limiters or what are the things that are going to hold us back? Uh, not being on time. Hey, for those of you who are veterans, tell us about years past. What are those actions that did help you be a great dream team? What were those actions that held you back? Uh, making excuses, not being on time, um, not coming together as a team, uh, in-group, out-group. Great. Now let's talk about what we value. Values are who you are or who you want to become. And then I have exercise sheet and we all write our individual values as a cheerleader. Then we come together in small groups and narrow it down. Then we all come together and they come up with three to five values. It's kind of their roadmap to reach the goals that they set earlier. And then we're very specific with those values. What do they look like? How do we know when we're doing them? When you start with that template, you realize as a coach, you no longer have to get your team to act what you want. You give them the autonomy or independence and free thought to create the environment that they want. And then all you are is a mirror, a reflection. When athletes mm -hmm. are making excuses, all right, everybody stop. Let's go over to the board. Field trip. Literal language I use. Come on, field trip. Ah, <laughs> oh, Coach Jeff, so annoying. I love field trips, so come on over. All right. 
This is what I'm hearing. I'm hearing excuses that it's not my fault. I'm placing blame. Who can tell me based on what we just talked about, the problem? It's something that we have a habit of doing. We did it all last year. It kept us from our goals. All right. High five. Anchoring is what it's called. So yes, exactly. Okay. How did we say we're going to stop that? We are going to notice when we do it and we are going to walk away, take a couple breaths or find a different way to communicate. All right. And I just stop and I wait for them to do that. So you're talking about, oh, it's psychologically safe environment, like kumbaya. Have you ever tried to talk to kids about their feelings? Have you ever tried to hold your kids accountable? Imagine what it is when you are just silent and they're having to sit in the discomfort of coming yep. up with a solution and then you just hold them lovingly accountable to that solution. That is way harder than getting chewed out by a coach. Way harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love that. And uh, I'm a big believer in silence. Um, I don't know if you know, I come from a law enforcement background okay. and it's a common interview technique. Be silent and let them talk first because people will, people want to fill that silence and it is uncomfortable. Uh, and I think it's hard as a coach. I mean, I can literally, as you're talking, I can think of all these times where I've probably missed the mark on that. I try to do some of those things. I've never, I've never been trained by you. So I, I'm hearing things and going, oh, that's a really good idea. I need to start implementing that too. I really like the idea of doing that board and talking about what are the things that are going to prevent us, right? I talk about goal setting. We don't talk about the the inhibitors. Um, and I really like that idea of, you know, revisiting those things. We have our gym values. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, and we have those established in our core values and they're evident. We do some things to reinforce them. Like we actually have a, uh, anytime we see athletes, you know, representing it, we have a binder and at the end of practice, they Good. get stickers that go in their binder for each core value that they represent. Um, so we do that. And, but of course, what do all competitive coaches do? We forget about that stuff. Cause we got to redo the pyramid tonight and we got to do this and we got to, this person's out injured. So those things drift to the wayside. And I'm a big believer that what you don't, uh, what you don't nurture and what you don't continually reinforce will get lost. It's Always. very easy to lose those things. So I like that. I love having the physical board. I love taking the trip over and talking about those things. That's fantastic. Um, as you build a team culture though, and as you're, as you're doing this, how, well, it's a two part question. How do you avoid the urge to just give them the answer? Cause it takes time to let them discover it. <laughs> and how do you encourage those athletes who are not the two or three key leaders to take part in that journey and that growth as well. That's a good one. So I will ask you, I'm going to be growth mindset or growth minded. If I get off topic or I don't answer a question, please bring me back. Cause you hit a bunch of, you hit on a bunch yeah, of sorry. things that I'm very passionate about. Okay. First, the whole leadership thing, like, oh, we typically have two or three really strong leaders, whether it be facilitated or maybe they have just a predisposition for it because they've been on the team. One thing that I coach is that everybody can be a leader 
at some point in time. It does not have to be a forever. It can be for 30 seconds. It could be the main base who gets the wrong grip. And instead, I could be a leader and remind him, remember, right over left. That's me being a leader and helping my stunt partner out and reminding them to be focused in the moment. So that's, that's a little leadership talk. One of the things that I do to help facilitate myself to not giving them the answer is making sure that I am looking at each one of my athletes. So really making eye contact and I'm trying to read body language. So that's where my focus goes rather than on the answer. What do they look like in there? Are they, as I'm scanning the room, let's use a, for instance, I feel like those are usually most helpful. All right, you guys, what are some of the things that you all did last season that stopped you or inhibited you from your goals? So I might say in that very uncomfortable silence, oh, so you all reached your goals last season, knowing they didn't make it to summit or whatever. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Okay, cool. You guys have all the answers. And they're still laughing. And then I'm like, what, what are you laughing at? What? No one's saying anything. Usually you'll have one girl, you know, the one or two, like, uh, and they're trying to, in this current day and age, kids are the same, but in this culture, they all want the right answer. So they're likely going to say whatever you want them to say. Um, we're not nice to each other, or we don't give 100% effort all the time. Okay, Awesome. I love that. Thank you. And so it's not necessarily the answer. I love that you're the first person who's brave enough to speak out. Man, that's very courageous. High five. I am trying to facilitate always a growth mindset. So I do often like, oh, that's a great answer. Fixed mindset. So I'll scale it back. Oh, thank you for being so brave. Thank you for participating. Oh, that's very insightful. Oh, I love that you all are sitting there really contemplating this. And I may, if they are quiet, another strategy, I'll call on a kid. What do you think? Mm. Mm, is that a, I don't know because I'm thinking really hard or an I don't know and I'm uncomfortable, leave me alone. We talked about how mental block stuff is everywhere. Mm -hmm. Fear. I'm trying to read, is this a kid who's like, ah, don't put the spotlight on me or is it a kid who's just not trying? If it's a kid who's not trying, I'm going to go, mm, yeah, this is an I don't know free zone. Mm -mm. If it's a kid who's like, ooh, okay, phone a friend. And I'm going to be silly, lighthearted. It's okay not to know the answer. Right. Oh, all you got to do is point to someone. Oh, you might not know someone's name. That's okay. Would anyone like to help Juliet out? She's new. She might feel a little uncomfortable. And what's going to happen? The kids are going to definitely raise, oh, Juliet, how does that feel? to know that you already have sisters on this team who care so much about you, they don't want you uncomfortable. She might smile or she might say something. Yeah, good. I'm facilitating a free to fail environment, which is psychologically safe. Is that okay. sort yeah, of answering no, that's your great. question? Okay. Yeah, that absolutely does. I, I absolutely answers that question. I think that 
a lot of us, anyone who's coached for a while knows that you're going to get those kids on your team that they're always the first person to say, oh, we need to do this. They're the, they're the kid to be back there backstage, you know, in their little circle talking and doing the motivational speech because yeah. that's going to make them hit their stunts apparently. Um, I, I'm all for getting hyped up, but I don't believe that anything you say backstage is going to make the difference beyond just being calm and present in the moment. Um, no motivational speech uh, is ever hitting a routine. Um, and if it is, it's, it's pure luck. Uh, so one of the things I was going to ask you as we talk culture and we, so taking it outside of the gym and looking at an industry culture that I, I have my own theories on, but I'm curious on your perspective. How do you think the culture of the hit zero has impacted athletes psychologically approaching performances. Okay. Um, I feel like you're being a little leading, Dan. <laughs> so I just want to call it out. But okay, I, that's do, fair. I, I do not love hit zero. I get hit zero. Putting on my other hat, why would I say hit zero? In theory, I believe it's the only thing my team can control. I can't. The kids can't control what the judges give them or what the judges score them Mm -hmm. or where they rank. So hit zero in my brain is like, oh, okay. So this is a logical goal that they can control. Can they? I can't control that group over there hitting. I cannot control your run-up back handspring tuck, Dan. Though I would love to. I cannot be the marionette puppet above you all making you hit your routine. So, though I understand hit zero, it makes sense. I do not feel like it is aligned with my goal as a industry professional, as somebody who's trying to help with mindset. I do not, I feel like it is incongruent with a growth mindset. So how do you, I was being leading, sorry. Uh, uh, that is a, f- a fair call out there. And part of the reason I'm being leading though, is, is we do, we talk hit zero in my gym. Um, you know, we talk about hitting our routine and, and that is, it's just industry wide. People want to know if okay. they hit, right. Did you hit? And I have, I coach two teams. I coach a medium four and a senior extra small co-ed six, both very hard divisions. My medium four, there's points where we put up seven stunts. Like, the, the probability of the 30 plus stunts we build all hitting perfect throughout the routine is, is low. I mean, that's just more opportunity for things to go wrong. Um, and I've this last weekend, literally on Sunday was the first time both of those teams hit a zero deduction routine. And I had been noticing that I would watch them performing and they would seem instead of getting more excited through the routine as they were doing well, you could see their performance dissipating a little bit and almost that stress mounting in a a couple, especially in a couple athletes who historically got deductions Mm -hmm. and you could see them going, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to mess. I don't want to mess this up. I don't. And then they would make a mistake because they're perseverating on the, this self-fulfilling prophecy. How would you suggest anyone like me struggling with that battle that incongruity within our sport 
of wanting them to achieve the zero, but not wanting them to be stressed out. I love it. I, I mentioned this before, um, values, growth mindset, fundamental, like Dr. Dweck's book and research on growth mindset is revolutionary. So if you have not picked up her book, Mindset, please do, because it is a simple but not easy thing to do. We, okay. I'm going to get big for a second. We are in a perfection-based sport. There is no denying the most perfect team is going to win. The one with the most difficulty who hits the most perfect routine. That's just a reality. Versus mm -hmm. how many basketball players are going to go up to a free throw line and hit 100% of their shots. How many golfers? How many pitchers? Like, I hope this makes sense to everyone and everyone's nodding their head. Yeah, okay, we're in a perfection-based sport. Being in a perfection-based sport means that we are training our athletes' brains towards perfectionism. What is the consequence of doing this to our kids and our athletes? Exactly, Dan, what you are talking about. When we worry about how other people view us, which is perfectionism, we are going to do less in terms of effort. We are going to hold back for fear of failure. Our muscles, so talking physiologically, will become more tense. Our breathing is more shallow. For all of you out there who have pukers on your performance floor, this is all a reflection, mostly. Sometimes it's a medical thing. But 99% of the time, these manifestations are of anxiety due to perfectionism. We're in a perfection-based sport. And now you're telling your kids, hit zero. You mean there's no room for a stunt coming down? There's no room for that first time that athlete ever hits a tuck? Yes, you may try and create this environment where, yeah, okay, so you did get a deduction. That's okay. But I've been talking for three weeks about hit zero and that mm -hmm. kid touched down, it doesn't matter what you said for three weeks. That kid thinks they are the reason the whole team has failed. Right. Can you imagine the weight on that kid's shoulders? Okay. I am big into do not tell a kid, stop bending your arms. Help them. Well, so I want to help mean? you yeah, coaches. Exactly. Rather... What if we trained our kids, not kumbaya, just give it your best try. Like that, that doesn't follow my value system. Yeah, I want them to give their best try, but I want them to work. I want them to be challenged. I want them to be gritty because I know that's going to help them through life. Mm -hmm. But I also want to facilitate confidence. True confidence comes from failing and being okay with the failure because I know I can still do it. That's true confidence. Not, I threw it, I'm confident. Mm -mm. You cannot be confident until you fail. Then we see the test of who you really are. All right, so how does this work in the gym? How do I facilitate this? I am looking for passion. I am looking for energy. I am looking for 100% effort. When I see a kid touch down and they stand up and they give all the face, when they are able to go to the next stunt and recover quickly, 
That is what I'm reinforcing. I love that Bridget made a mistake in her tuck and she was an amazing teammate. Come on, everybody, give it up to Bridget. What she did, she bounced back so fast that you better believe she became the leader of the team. I heard her going into the stunt. Come on, you all, we can do this. She stopped thinking about herself and she started thinking about her team. I love that. That in so many different ways, like rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, where you talk about effort, you talk about bounce back, you talk about resilience, you talk about leadership, and then you hold them to those standards. Because I'm telling you at the end of the day, Dan, what would you rather have? A team that went out there and like, yeah, come on, let's go. Or the team at they fall, like there's one stunt that fell or a touchdown or a team that's like, I would 100% of the time take the first team because I can coach the reason that mistake happened and I can help create situations to be able to help you all be more confident versus the second team, which I can see for years, those kids are going to always perform that way. And then you're going to get on ASGA. Why do my kids not perform with passion? Who has two great tips to tell me how to motivate my kids to want to work harder? Who can, who can tell me how to deal with mental blocks? Uh, can someone talk to me about why my kid's throwing up? Yeah, please call me. But I'm going to say the same thing I'm saying to you for free right now. Mm-hmm. You're creating an environment where it's not okay to fail. So create a more growth-minded, free-to-fail, psychologically safe environment. And I'm not saying all those things are going to go away, but they're going to come way less, way less severe, and it's going to be a way more enjoyable environment and successful environment for everybody. I love all of that. That's uh, fantastic. And so thank you. Thank you for those not just nuggets. Those are, that's gold right there. Thanks. What do you do or what would be your approach for those kids? If you have that good environment, but you, unfortunately you still have those kids that go that route, right? You've got Mm -hmm. kids who are naturally more prone to anxiety or, Mm -hmm. um, I have a, I have a kid this year who developed a mental block uh, like a month into my gym. I, I don't think it had to do anything with our, our culture. She was training on her own. She had put it in her brain that she needed to get this skill. And it was a connection of a whip to a handspring, which I wouldn't have even been teaching her, but she decided she was going to get and it confused her. And then she couldn't connect anything to a back mm-hmm. handspring. You mentioned the athlete that looks at you when they're performing. I have an athlete new to my program does that in everything. Like she will be running into her full and be looking to see if I'm watching. I don't think it's an anxiety. I think it's more of like wanting the praise more than Mm -hmm. it's, am I going to be mad? But like, I want to make sure you're, you're paying attention to me. But how do you, how do you navigate if you have a good culture, those projects? Yeah. So I love that question because how do we elevate where we all are? 
one of my fundamental beliefs is that we need to meet athletes where they're at and bring them up one level. You're talking about the athlete who's running and staring at you. And I'm sure you have those other athletes who are going to raise their hand and they're going to be the first one to try something new. I coach both of those athletes very differently. This athlete, I'm going to coach her one level above on whatever she needs more focus on. It might be strength training. It might be to work on her jumps. And I'm going to hold her really accountable to those things. This athlete who's staring at me, I'm not going to go hold her hand and skip with her. I'm going to talk to her. What is it that you're looking for when you're going into your full? Do you even recognize that you are looking at me? No, I had no idea. So think about it. Do you believe me when I'm telling you? Well, I mean, yeah, you, I don't see it. But if you're telling me, coach, you, I must be doing it. What? Let's just theorize. Why would you be doing this? I want to make sure that you think I'm doing, that I'm working hard. Okay, that makes sense. I'm going to look at Coach Dan to see if he thinks I'm working hard. How about... I tell you this, though you may not always believe it. Once you're not working hard, I will let you know. Right. You are one of the hardest workers in this entire gym. Not this team, the entire gym. I never question your effort. But this tells me a lot about your brain. Do you think you give 100% offer all the time? Well, yeah, I think so. I just want to make sure that you think I am. Let, let's call her uh, Shania. Okay, Shania. Regardless, this makes me sad that you don't trust your own effort, that you don't feel like you have a good enough gauge. Can I have you say this out loud? I give a good effort every single time. No, I'm serious, Shania. Say it. I give a good effort every single time. Say, I am proud of myself for my effort. I am proud of myself for my effort. Do you believe it? Yeah? All right. I want you to say that every time before you go. That all the only thing that matters is my effort. The only thing that matters is my effort. Really quick, Dan, nugget of information. One thing I tell athletes, effort and outcome are not the same. Absolutely. Just because I give 100% effort doesn't mean I'm going to land it. So Shania, if you don't land this skill, I don't immediately think poor effort. I think, what could we do different? That's it. Yep. That's it. I am not judging you landing this as being a good or a bad person, but I fear that is what's going on in your brain. We bring up that really hard conversation. Coaches, how many of you would have a hard, a hard time with that conversation? Most of you. How many of you know that your kids would have a hard time with that conversation? Most of you. But I thought psychologically safe was really, really hot, was really easy, coaches. <laughs> it's not. This is hard stuff. No, not remotely. I, I was actually about to go down that route a little bit, and I, I don't. We've almost been going for an hour, which I can talk this stuff for hours and hours, and I'm sure you can too. But you're volunteering your time at the moment. How do so what you're talking about is really hard. It's really hard. So hard. And uh, because it requires 
discipline of the coach to main, manage their emotions and understand that that kid's not making you feel that way because no one makes you feel any particular way. You are in control of your emotions and your state of mind. Uh, and you have to manage that. Um, on top of not everyone is clinically trained to right. understand how the brain is working. Not everyone has the correct language, the communication skills. I mean, there's a variety of challenges here. On top of a lot of gyms don't emphasize culture in this manner or not this style of culture. Culture is we work really hard or we win. That's our culture. We're a winning culture. But they haven't spent the time to diligently build core values, reinforce those core values, and have everything in their, in their program funnel from their culture to you know have that be permeate everything. So how do gym owners who already, that's the bulk of who we work with, they're already struggling to find good staff to begin with, or they find staff who know how to teach cheerleading, but don't know how to not curse kids out, right? How do, how do gym owners start to take a nibble of this really, really big apple and slowly chunk away at it and bring this into their gyms. I appreciate this very difficult question. That's what my growth mindset says. My fixed mindset says, Dan, I hate you. I want to have the right answer every single time. So really, I mean, I guess that's part of the answer, which is develop and increase your self-awareness. I am aware in this question, let's take it outside of cheerleading, like there's a part of me that's like, I know hard questions make me a better consultant. I know hard questions help me grow. I believe that to my core, but I have that cheerleading fixed mindset that we all have because we grew up in a fixed minded sport that says, I don't have the answer right away, which means I am stuck. I'm terrible. All the coaches and all the gym owners are going to think I'm a fake and a fraud. And so I notice as you're asking that question, that voice, that fixed-minded voice that's like, I don't have an immediate answer. Damn, I must be really bad. I must not be good at this. So step one, develop self-awareness. <laughs> so, all right. Good job, Jeff. You feel like you're a failure because you can't answer it right away. All right. Step two, I would say in this present moment, the first piece of information, I'd probably go to growth mindset. Read growth mindset, bring it into the gym, have your coaches do a book study on growth mindset. It's also the cheapest way to do it. And then have a study session on what, what do we like? What do we not like? Evaluate your culture. How do you think we do this? Do we really buy into this? I'm hoping most gyms at that point are like, yeah, okay. And then I treat you all the same way I would treat my team. What do we want? What are our goals? Why do you coach? Okay, we can all do this. What do we value? Like, I would love to be able to help you all with values and make it way easier, but not all of us have the money for that. Totally fine. Mm -hmm. 
you can literally Google, how do I choose my values? Find out who, what your values are. Define them. Actually, I have a 60-minute for free value culture thing on YouTube. I don't even know why I'm saying this. Like, I did a, what was it? A, a conference like six, five years ago. And so I'm like, ah, it's been five years. Put it up. There's all this information. So I go values, goals, what are our limiters? And then we just talk about it as a staff the same way we would with our kids. And then we have to hold each other accountable and do monthly, can't do it monthly, quarterly reassessment of how we're doing. That would probably be my step one. Not always, because I again, fundamentally, I think we should meet each other where we're at. My hope is that mm -hmm. most of your gyms are at that place. But then there's also yep. hire someone like my, me who can literally walk you through it and lovingly hold you accountable. Well, that's, I mean, that's also a, a valid answer, right? Like people can reach out to you and you can help them with this process. Yeah. And it is, it is a challenging one. It's, mm -hmm. it's not easy. I love what you were mentioning on the growth mindset book that's added to my list. I'm actually going to be ordering it for my staff next. Cause we, that's something we implemented this year. Cool. New this year, but we have our coaches, we have assigned reading and we've read, um, we've read legacy. Um, I don't know if you've read legacy. Um, yeah. It's, a. Uh, it's a book about culture. Uh, it follows the All Blacks uh, rugby team. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's written by James Kerr. Uh, really amazing book about, about culture and, and how they have the team culture that they do. Uh, so we read that, and then we spent a little bit of time trying to digest uh, the coach's guide to teaching, um, which is a really dense book. That's amazing. I love it. Uh, but my staff couldn't handle it. They were like, this is a textbook, Dan, like we can't manage, but we made a few chapters in and we got some good stuff out sure. of it. Uh, but it requires a lot of kind of what you were talking about when you, well, uh, what you were alluding to when you said, I, I want to make sure to tell people how to do things. It is written in soccer language. So it requires mm. a lot of backwards Shift. engineering for how you apply sure. that to cheer. Um, currently doing extreme ownership with uh, Jocko Willink's book. But mindset, growth mindset's the next one. And Can we do exactly that. One? We read it. We discuss it each week. Oh, please. I'm an avid reader. Trust and Inspire by Stephen Covey. Okay. Trust and Inspire. Definitely. Talks a lot about leadership. Well. Okay. I love it. And I'm a, I'm a big believer that we need to be educating our staff more frequently than we do. We kind of hire people and we're like, go. And then in three years, we're like, I don't understand why they're not aligning with what I want them to do. And it's like, well, what have you taught them in yeah. the last three years? Well, nothing. Um, or, well, we've had our staff meetings. Okay, but what did we teach? What did we reinforce? Mm -hmm. um, so amazing stuff. Uh, really excited to read that book. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so as we wrap up, because I, I don't want to take any more of your very valuable time. Uh, do you have any anything that we didn't chat about or as you're thinking through our conversation, something you meant to mention that 
I maybe missed on or led you astray on? I think, I mean, I've loved our conversation so much. Um, really for me, I would say one piece of like last nugget of information. I use a Likert scale, zero to five for athletes, especially with fear. So zero, I have no fear. Five is I have overwhelming fear. For everybody who's like, oh, mental blocks, I don't want to talk about that. No, I listen, just give me 30 seconds. Being able to use a Likert scale for this generation that struggles with communicating how they feel, not their fault, but they do in general really struggle with how they're feeling, especially post-COVID, giving them a rating scale, zero to five. Hey, how are you feeling? Zero is I feel amazing. Five is I'm overwhelmed. Where are you at? Uh, For those of you who like uh, stoplights, green light, go, red light, stop, yellow light, ooh. We either have to slow down because if we go any faster, we're going to get a ticket or yellow light, keep going. That's a really good gauge to help navigate everything. I'm talking to a mini kid and they look a little red light, green light, yellow light. And they hold up like a red light sign. Ah, cool. I know I got to walk away from that kid. It is really, really helpful to build awareness and help with emotional regulation. And coaches, it's good for you to keep in the back of your mind too. When you're getting yellow light, slow down, get out of the gym before you hit red light, freak out, flip your lid. I love that. I really love that. That's great. Um, awesome. Well, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I've truly enjoyed our conversation. I hope everyone has loved it as much as I have. If people are looking to reach out to you, they're looking to get in touch. Would you mind just providing that email one more time? Sure. Uh, do you have a website? I do. Uh, so very okay. similar, mindbodycheer at gmail.com is how you can get a hold of me. My website is mindbodycheer.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Jeff Benson, Instagram, and YouTube. Awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. Uh, as always so much knowledge uh and maybe we'll we'll con you into coming back for another episode i would love to awesome all right thanks so much. much yep thank you for joining us for this episode of the next generation gym owners people and profits podcast if you would like to be featured on our podcast click the link in our description to apply If you're interested in joining NextGen, visit our website at www.nextgenowners.com. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening.